Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Well, good evening, church. See you on this Sunday evening, September. How about that? Where'd the summer go, right? Kind of flew by, didn't it? Well, you know, September, I guess, is notoriously here at Open Bible, what we would call Missions Month, right? Is that normally when we have all our missions emphasis, September? I'm used to doing March uh, from where I'm from, and so, uh, but it doesn't matter what month it is, as long as you emphasize the importance of reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. Isn't that right? And so, you know, we, uh, we're excited. We've got a, a busy week coming up, but a good week. It's a busy week in church calendar, correct? And we don't, we don't always do that. We don't have conferences often, you know, but when we do, we feel they're important. And we don't do it just for a few. We have conferences for the whole church, you know. And, you know, years ago, I think it was, it was my friend Charlie Keene, Dr. Keene, who said we need to stop having missions conferences and have missions revivals, you know? And so I, I wish we can think of it this week as a mission revival, Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday. No, all day Sunday. Take Saturday off, you know? And, and really when I say all day Sunday, it's just gonna be, uh, Sunday school is gonna be general assembly uh, in the auditorium here. And that's, is that for everybody? Or kids are gonna have class? That's everybody. Everybody, you know, except for infants, toddlers, and anyone who acts like one, right? Is that the way it is? Uh, but everybody being here together, and it's going to be a family event, you know, and then the same thing at, at 1045, right? Everybody together, and then we'll go over and have a delicious meal in the, uh, in the gym. And, uh, and I'm not sure if we're going to stay there. We're going to have, after the meal, it's going to be the time where you and I vote on what we're going to do this upcoming year for missions. You know what that means? It means this. We're going to take a pledge card and we're going to say, this is how much I'm going to give this year from my personal monies so that the world, of, uh, so that the world can be reached with the gospel of Christ. It's how we vote, basically. We're saying this is what we like to see take place. And so I'm not sure if we're going to stay in the gym or if I might say, hey, let's go over to the auditorium for about 25 minutes or so, 20 minutes, 25 minutes and close this conference up right here. I just seem to feel this is so much more conducive for getting something like that accomplished. You know, you're in a gym, a little loud, could be a little warm, you know, could be a little tired from eating a heavy Italian meal. So if I ask you to come back over, don't frown. I won't keep you long, I promise, okay? And, uh, and then we'll close up our missions month uh, that afternoon. It's going to be a great time together. I wanted, to, I wanted to touch base with you on missions tonight and just share my heart with you as your pastor. I know this is all new for us, right? We've never done a conference together. And I really have never spoke too much about missions since I've been here. 
you know? And so I thought I'd share my heart with you tonight before we enter into our missions conference on Thursday night. So open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter number 14. And I want to I speak to us tonight about global missions, you know, that's a, that's a modern term. Used to be, you know, world missions vision, now we've called it global. It means the same thing, it just means reaching every person, everywhere, with the gospel of Christ, right? There are those who are reachable, and then there are those who are unreachable, correct? Right? You know the reachables. They're the people that we can see, the people we can touch. But then there are those that we can't see and we can't touch. In fact, there are some that are so hidden, hidden we don't even know they're there in our world. And you know this as well as I, Jesus died for those folks too. And Jesus, want those, he wants those folks to hear the gospel as well. So it's our task, it's our job to get it done. So what is, what is Missions Month and what is Missions Emphasis all about? Here, here it is in a nutshell. What we're trying to do as church leaders is raise the interest, raise your interest in reaching the world with the gospel. We want to burden your heart once again. And maybe even, maybe even God will call some of us to a different level, maybe to a different place when it comes to reaching people with the gospel of Christ. You know, in missions conferences all the time, men and women, boys and girls are called into missions. And some today are serving on the mission field because they attended a missions conference. And God did something in their heart, you know. And uh, they surrendered their life to go somewhere to represent the Lord and preach the gospel. And that's wonderful. And, you know, our church has a number of great young people here. And so in this missions conference, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday, as a missionary gives a testimony, and these are sharp. We got some sharp missionaries coming. You know, I mean, sharp spiritually, physically, you know, emotionally. Uh, they're sharp. They look good. They know what they're doing. They have the hand of God upon them. And so, you know, just our young people getting around them a little bit. I know on Saturday night, our youth uh, leaders are going to take our teenagers uh, on a progressive dinner. Different homes, they'll have salad at one place or appetizer at one place and dinner at another place and dessert at another place. And in each one of those homes, there's going to be one of these missionary families. And so get a chance to talk with them and touch them and, and real life, you know, opportunity to get to know a missionary. You never know what God's going to do. And I would hope as a parent that that wouldn't disappoint you. Let me say that one more time. I would hope as a parent, if God called your child into missions that you would be thrilled because that would be better than being, well, I almost said President of the United States. That's not too much of a prestige job these days, you know, but that's better than being the CEO of Amazon or Google or Microsoft. I mean, getting to serve Almighty God, you know. You say, well, Pastor, they're not going to make a whole lot of money here. Yeah, but the eternal dividends are out of this world. You know, and so I would hope that you would never hinder your child from the call of God. Because if God's trying to call them, that's the best place suited for that's, that's where they're going to be the happiest. That's where everything God has for them will be found right there. Amen? So you never know what God may do this week. But let's start looking uh, at this text in Acts chapter 14. Look at verse 21. If your Bible has kind of segregated sections of Scripture... 
At the top of verse 21, it says the return to Antioch. Does anybody's Bible say that? There you go. You got the good Bible. If yours doesn't, I would throw it away and get one that says the return to Antioch. But here's what's happening here. Uh, the Apostle Paul is returning. He and Barnabas are returning to Antioch, and they're going to give a report of what took place on this missionary journey. Look what it says in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they, again, uh, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had reached the word, uh, preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia and then sailed on to Antioch from whence they had been recommended uh, to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Verse 27, and when they were come, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed or they gave a report of all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. And so as I thought about this text of scripture, I thought this for sure outlines for us what I would call the mission of missions. Think about that for a second. Uh, if you work uh, anywhere in America today, your place of employment uh, probably has what is called a mission statement, right? How many understand that terminology, a mission statement? You know what a mission statement is? It's probably just a brief explanation of existence, right? Uh, a mission statement, it, it, it explains what your existence is, what your existence for being is, why you're here, you know? We have a mission statement as a church, Correct? Why does Open Bible Baptist Church exist? You know, we have a mission statement. And then I believe that each one of our ministries ought to have a mission statement. What is the purpose of that ministry? Why does that ministry exist? Correct? So what is the mission statement of missions? What's the mission of missions? And I think if you look at this text of Scripture, it kind of outlines for us the mission of missions. Now, if I could take it back just a little bit and kind of pick through it, I want you to notice what takes place here. The book of Acts, you know, the book of Acts chronicles the New Testament church, right? It's kind of like a history book. When you read the book of Acts, what you find is this. You find the beginning of the church, the start of the church, the birth of the church, and that would be in chapter number two. And then you, you start to see the phenomenal growth of the church. Do you ever follow that? Do you ever see how God added to the church? I mean, you know, on one day he adds 3,000, another day 5,000, another time there's several thousand, and that's only, it says, of just men. Well, there had to be women and children, you know? And so when you begin to read the book of Acts, you begin to see a chronicle, a record of the New Testament church on, you know, how it was birthed, how it was born, and then how it grew. And then, and then how it began to lend influence in the world, what they began to do. And in Acts chapter number 13, in fact, we're right there. Look at, at verse number 1, Acts chapter 13. We'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And so they not only had a pastor, but they also had several men who can preach. 
and teach, kind of like Open Bible Baptist Church does, you know, and many New Testament churches. And here's what takes place in verse number two. As they ministered to the Lord, as they were serving God, as they were doing ministry right there in Antioch, the Lord, look at it, look at it, says, and as they fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid, uh, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. You know what that is? That is the start of the very first missions program right there. You know, church in Antioch, things were going well. You know, the pastor's preaching, men are teaching, men are growing, people are getting saved, and the Lord says we have to extend this ministry. And so he says to the leaders, you need to separate these two guys. We need to separate uh, Barnabas by the name, who, whose, whose nickname was Son of Consolation, a great encourager, and Saul, who later became in cha chapter number nine, who? Paul. And he says, separate these two men unto the work which I've called them. Now, when you follow this, what happens is this, that the church sends them out and they begin to travel. They're on a journey and they're going to town after town. As they arrive in these towns, they begin to preach the gospel. As people get saved, you know, they begin to gather together. You know, they begin to disciple these individuals. Churches are started and the New Testament work you know, is, is just off and running. Are, are you with me? What happens in this text of Scripture is that Saul and Barnabas come back to Antioch and give a report to the church. We're familiar with that, aren't we? They give a report to the church about all that the Holy Spirit of God had led them to do. And I'm sure, I'm just sure the church was re just rejoicing. Man, just having a time of rejoicing to see what God was doing. And when you read through this text, for me at least, it, it, it just kind of talks about the mission or the mission statement of missions. Let me point it out to you. In verse number uh, 21 and 22, I would say this. The mission statement begins with this statement, make disciples. Make disciples. Look at the text again. I'm back in chapter number 14. Notice it says this in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel, where? To that city. So whatever city they arrived in, they began to preach the gospel. You know, uh, I'm sure of this, I'm sure it was, it was preaching on the street corner. I'm sure it was preaching, you know, uh, on every pathway. Get it? I'm sure it was preaching house to house. Wherever there were people, these men, these disciples, these these New Testament missionaries went and preached the gospel to them. But I want you to notice this also in verse number 21, where it says, and had taught many. And so, when they arrived in the city, they preached the gospel and taught many. And then verse 22 says, confirming the souls of the disciples. And so, in essence, now pay attention right here, the mission of missions is to first and foremost make disciples. It's to make disciples. Let me, let me make a statement here, and I have no intention of getting anybody angry. I think you'll understand this if you listen to the whole statement. Missions is not about clothing the naked. It is not about feeding the hungry. It is not about churching the unchurched. It is not educating the ignorant. 
Missions first and foremost is about preaching the gospel to lost people and then teaching those people all they need to know, all they need to know so they can go and do the same. Now, when New Testament missions really takes effect, people are saved, and, and then there probably is going to be some feeding of the hungry, clothing of the naked, churching the ch unchurched, and educating the ignorant. But that's not the purpose. That is not the mission. That is not why we send missionaries around the world. We don't send them to India to teach English. We don't send them to uh, New Guinea mm, to bring food. Hello? We may feed them and clothe them, but first and foremost, we want to preach to them what? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because they need to be saved. What good would it be if we got them all warm, all clothed, all fed up, and even got them into a, a really nice building where they could do some religious work and die and go to hell? they would have been no better off had we not even went, right? And so the mission of missions, first and foremost, is to do, to do the work of the gospel, and that is to preach it and teach it, edify, build, equip, disciple, mentor, coach, whatever you want to call it, get it done so that these folks come into the good understanding of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a Christian. As you move on, I want you to notice this. In verse number 23, it says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed and, uh, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. The second, I, I believe this, this is my, my belief, I believe the second uh, line uh, on the mission statement is to uh, establish New Testament churches, without a doubt. And so when we send men and women and, you know, around the world into these little communities, we desire for them to go and preach the gospel, see people get saved, gather those people, and start a church. Amen. Start a church. I want you to notice this and listen to this statement. Before Paul, Barnabas, and Saul arrived in these cities, there was no New Testament church. There was none. You said, why do you say that? Because it says this in verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church. You know what an elder is? Anybody know? Say it again. I can't hear you. A leader. Okay. What's an elder? Who do you think he's talking about there? A pastor. You know in the New Testament the word uh, elder, bishop, shepherd, all speaking about the same person? You aware of that? He's not talking about an older person there. He's talking about a leader, but really the elder is just another description for the pastor. A bishop, another description of the pastor. Shepherd, another description of the pastor of the church. Now, the last time I checked, Preacher Riddell, you can't have a church unless you have a pastor. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Isn't that right? I know you, you went 11 months or so without a pastor, but you had one prior to that, and you had one when this church started. And you have one now. You just so happen you had a little spell where, you know, you were in transition. Correct? So, so don't go home and say, boy, for 11 months we weren't a church. <laughs> no, you were a church from the time you were conceived because you had all these things in place. But here in Derby, they didn't have elders. They didn't have pastors. I made a statement and said before uh, Saul and Barnabas and Saul got there, there were no churches. Why did I say that? Because there wasn't elders. There weren't pastors until Barnabas and Saul got there. 
So without a pastor, you can't have a church. Are you with me? Huh? And so they arrive uh, in town. They lead people to the Lord. They begin to disciple these individuals. And then God begins to, I guess, segregate from that crowd certain individuals that he's called to take on leadership. And what Paul and Barnabas do, Saul and Barnabas do, they, they ordain these men. They recognize these men. They lay hands on these men. They ordain these men to the ministry, and they become the pastors of the church. And I said that to say this, New Testament missions is all about establishing new churches in these areas, correct? And, and that's what most of our missionaries are doing. They're out there and they're starting churches. You say, now, so preacher, what kind of churches are they starting? What's that church look like? And I would say this, if Brother Southerd would be honest and Brother Wilkerson would be honest and Brother Coker would be honest with us, they would say, wherever they're going, they're going to start a New Testament church in that community. One that is, now pay attention right here, one that is sound. Sound in doctrine. Sound in methodology. They're going to use the methods of the New Testament. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. They're going to have baptism and, and Lord's Supper. They're probably going to start an evangelistic program of some sort, some kind of an outreach program. But they're not necessarily going to start or establish an American church. Why is that? Well, because where they're going is not America. And it would be, it would be sad for us to go and change the culture of individuals, right? We want to see them get saved, but they need to be who they are. Have you ever been on mission field? Ever been to mission church? How many have? Raise your hand. A few of us. There's nothing like being on the mission field in a mission church. I mean to tell you, it's absolutely overwhelming. Uh, I, spend, I spend a lot of time in uh, Central America and the Dominican Republic. And when I'm there, I love going to churches. I've preached in churches up in the mountains, out in the bush, in capital cities. And, and it's wonderful. And they have their own flair. They have their own flavor. I will tell you this, they never start on time. They never do. They have their own time, and they never, there is no, there's no clock, and so there's no saying, I'll be done in 15 minutes, because 15 minutes to them is, who, who cares, you know? All right, Brother James? I mean, out there where you're from in Liberia, just preach until you're done preaching, you know? And, um, you know, people get up, go out and have dinner and come back, there's still preaching going on, you know? Uh, just the way it is, but it's, 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 it's wonderful. Their culture is wonderful. And we, we don't want to Americanize them. We want to keep them, you know, just like they are, but we want to Christianize them. Correct? You know? And so when these men and women, these families go off in the missions, you know, it is their desire to make disciples and establish New Testament churches. I was talking to Tyler the other day about about a, a missions opportunity for us. In October, I have a missionary come and dear missionary friend. His name is Ron Autry. And Ron has been a missionary in the Dominican Republic for a long time. I, I can't tell you how many terms. And while there, he established a home base in Santo Domingo. Santo Domingo is the capital city of the Dominican Republic. And, uh, and from there, he has planted churches everywhere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot low. As of right now, he has over 50 churches planted. I know he's got way more than that. 
he started back in, oh, I don't know when it was, uh, back in maybe the year 2000, probably before that, he started Resurrection Baptist Seminary there in Santo Domingo, right out of his home church, the church he planted. And there he trains, he trains national pastors to pastor these churches that are started. And it is thrilling. And so through the years, I'm on the board there at that seminary, and I go down there, I used to go down there twice a year and teach. After COVID, I think the last time I was there, when was the last time the Eagles won the Super Bowl? When was that? 2017? That's the last time I was there, I believe, right, Donna? I was there on Super Bowl Sunday. Could you imagine? Who would have ever thought the Eagles would have went to the Super Bowl? And here I am out of the country. I got a chance to watch it. Uh, but I haven't been there because then COVID hit and then I was in Central America and all that kind of stuff. But, but I have a goal of establishing a missions trip for Open Bible this upcoming spring to the Dominican Republic. It will be absolutely fascinating. I love to get our teenagers there and, and then any adult who would like to come along with us. Now, Brother Ron will come. He'll give us the details of that trip, how many we can bring. It's not as, as expensive as you would think, but the influence and what will take place in your heart and their heart while they're there, it's priceless. I mean, absolutely priceless. Just to see what the Lord has done in these crazy places like the Dominican Republic, you know? And so, what we talk about missions and mission statement, make disciples, establish churches. And then finally, verse 27, you see this. It says, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. I like to, I like to put the last thing on the list is be global in your vision. Our mission statement. What is the mission of missions? Make disciples, establish New Testament churches, and then be global in your vision. Now, you notice this, that, that Barnabas and Saul had came back to the New Testament church in Antioch and gave a report, right? They, they kind of shared what, what was going on. And there are several reasons for that. We, we have this happen uh, sometimes. Uh, I don't think any of our missionaries right now coming in this week are on furlough, are they? They're still on deputation. So what's the difference between furlough and deputation? In a word, money, money. But what is the actual difference? What is deputation? Raising money, right? So now, let's say, let's say God calls, give me a, give me a young couple here, Donald and, and Cheryl. Let's say God calls Donald and Cheryl Brown into missions. And God's going to call them to the furthest, remotest place on earth. So he's saying right now, I'm not coming to this missions conference. <laughs> New York. Who said New York? <laughs> New York City. Look out, Donald. So. So now Donald, Donald comes out and says, man, preacher, he said, God's, God's called me and Cheryl, and man, we're excited, and, and what's our next steps? And of course, you know, there's education and training and, and all that kind of stuff. But then I would say to him, well, Donald, you've got to find out how much it, it's going to cost you, not just to get to that remote place, but how much it's going to cost to live there and do ministry there. And so let's say Donald says, well, pastor, after doing the research, I think, I think $6,000 a month is what I'm going to need. And so, uh, I say to him, okay, Open Bible Baptist Church will promise to give you at least $100 a month of that 6000 <laughs> Good luck, man. <laughs> you know? So, what does he have to do now? Well, he's got to raise, he's got to raise that money. 
right? He's got to raise that six grand because when he gets to that remote place, he can't get a job and begin to pay for himself because that's taking money out of the mouth of a national. You're not allowed to do that. He's got to go there fully supported. So how does he get that? Where does he get that money from? Here's what he needs to do. He's got to begin to call pastors of churches of like faith, churches like this, and ask that pastor if he can come and share the burden of his heart, share the fact that God has called him and his wife to this remote area, and he's trying to raise money to get there. You might think, you might think that when a pastor gets that phone call, he says on the other line, Donald, I've been waiting for you to call. I have money sitting here. I'm just waiting to give you. Most of the time when the secretary says missionary A, B, C, and D is called, I say, uh, she says, should I call him back? No, not yet. Why? We want to support everybody, but we know we can't, you know. And so what we then do is this, since we're inundated with a number of missionaries, we have a criteria. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just lay my cards out on the pulpit tonight. We have a criteria that we follow. So I have a stack of guys looking for support. How do I determine who's worthy? Well, the first thing I do is, fault me if you want to, the first thing I do is I look for those that come from familiar places. I look at their mission board. I look at their home church. I look to see if I know their pastor. Why? Because that causes me to cut to the chase. If I know their pastor, I pretty much know. So if Donald goes out for support and I send him to all my pastor friends and he calls him and he says, hey, Pastor Yanizzi told me to give you a call, the very first thing they're going to say is, don't ever call me again. <laughs> no, they're going to know what he believes because he came from our church. He's, they're, they're going to at least give him a hearing based upon the fact that they know what we believe, they know what we stand for. After I get through that list, then I begin to look at where they're going. And, and you know, since we already have 2,500 2, million missionaries in Mexico, I begin to look for missionaries that are going to places that we don't have a lot of missionaries. I'm just trying to share the criteria with you, Right? So let's say Donald, man, God really burdens his heart. And he feels Mexico City is his place. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be harder for him to raise support because of how many missionaries there are in Mexico City. You know? And the criteria we use as pastors is that very thing. And so I call, you know, he's, he's going to a remote area. Did you ever hear of Jabip? He's going to Jabip. You know where that's at? I have no clue where it is. It's the furthest place you can think of. It's Jabip. Right? So he's going to Jabip. And I say, man, we don't have anybody in Jabip. We got people in Jabop, but nobody's in Jabip. <laughs> so um, let, me, let, me, let me look at his doctrinal statement. Everything lines up, but I get to the bottom of his doctrinal statement, and it has something that's just a red flag. Mm. So I take Donald's statement, and I put it off to the side here. I look at the next one. So you know what that says? It's going to be difficult for this young man to raise $6,000 a month to get to missions. That's why we need to pray extra hard for these missionaries. That's why when we invite people like the Southerts and the, the, Kofers, the, the Cokers and the Wilkersons, uh, we're already going to support. I'm not going to bring them all we here, spend money to get them here, just so what are they coming in for a popularity contest? What, you know, is his hair short enough? Is her dress long enough? No, we, we've already vetted them. We already believe they're worthy. 
We want you to meet them because we're going to lead you to give your missions dollars to support their worthy cause. You see how that works? That's deputation. It could take a year, two years, three years, or more. <laughs> you know? It all depends where they're going. And, 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 and there are times, believe me when I tell you, there are times when God lays his hand on somebody and for whatever reason, they raise their, their monies in six months, ten months. It's amazing how that takes place. But that's not the normal. It'll take Donald and Cheryl Brown, it could take them three years of every single week calling up churches, visiting churches. You know, and sometimes, uh, Tyler, you know this is true. Some of these guys, so the Southerns are going to drive in from where? Who? From where? Georgia? Georgia? Georgia. Georgia. You, you, you may not believe this, but I promise you this is the truth. There are sometimes a good young family like this will drive, maybe not to a meeting, maybe we're going to have them in for a Sunday night service. And they drove all the way here from Georgia, you know. A lot of times we'll say to them, services are at 6 o'clock, we'll see you then. So where they slept, where they ate, they'll come in. And the pastor may let the guy preach, probably won't, maybe give him eight minutes or 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. This guy just drove from Georgia for this meeting. Gas is an average of $4 a gallon, right? Had to, had, had to pay for fuel, had to pay for food, had to pray, pay for lodging, comes in 15 minutes, and he's on top of the world. This guy's excited because he's going to get to share his heart. And at the end of the service, they give him a great love gift of $75 and say, man, it's so good to have you with us. Won't even pay for him to get out of the state. But I'll guarantee you this, if you ask some missionaries, have you heard those stories before? Preacher, have you heard those stories before? You know that never happens at a place like Open Bible. Never happens at a place like Open Bible because when the Southerns leave wherever they're coming from, we're going to pay for every mile they drive. We're going to give them, you know, uh, money for what we think it's going to cost them to eat on the way. You know, now they're going to have to eat at McDonald's, of course, but <laughs> right? Uh, if they have to stay overnight someplace, like our guest speaker is going to stay in, in, in uh, Harrisburg, we're paying that hotel room as well. Why? They are our invited guests. And when they leave here, we want them to know that, man, you're special. We love you. We are so glad you're answering the call to go for us. You're going because I can't. So I should be head over heels to get you there. Does that make sense? Huh? So what's the difference between deputation and furlough? Furlough, furlough, the missionary family has already raised their support, been on the mission field, and now they need some time off. They need to break from the action. And any missionary that's really honest will tell you that's a very difficult thing to do because a lot of times they get the work going and they're excited about it. And years ago, preacher, you know this, it used to be every four years, man, these guys had to come off the field no matter what. The mission board forced them off the field. Now a lot of times it's six years and they only take a six-month furlough. Why? Because they get that work going and they really don't have anybody to turn it over to. So they get it going, they come back to the States for a year and they go back and the church is dissolved. You know? So it's difficult for these missionaries. But, but what they do is they, they leave, they come home, and they're supposed to get some rest, but you know what they have to do? Guess what they have to do? They got to go raise more support because while they were on the field, they lost support. Why? COVID. 
churches are struggling. Things change. Pastors come in and, and they say, well, I don't know that guy. I'm not supporting him. I know this guy. I want to support him. They drop that guy. You know, those things happen all the time. I look at it this way. We pick up, let's say we pick up the Southern family on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon. They become one of our missionaries, part of our missionary family. We'll support them until Jesus comes back or if something happens in their lives where we can no longer support them. Right? Why? Because they're going to be doing the work of God. Now, if he calls back in about three or four years, says, Brother Yanizzi, uh, we're no longer, where are they going? Who? The Southerns, where are they going? Jabib, if he calls back, if he calls back, I forgot where they're going. Mozambique. If he calls in after three years, said Brother Yanizzi, God is really moving in their heart, and for some reason we need to leave Mozambique, and now we're going to go to Tunisia. We're going to do the same exact thing in Tunisia. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I, listen, if, 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 if I wasn't good with that, I shouldn't be pastoring this church. I should have stayed in Florida. God moves men's hearts. And it's okay, right? Now, if he calls back and says, Brother Yanizzi, I'm leaving Mozambique. I'm going to go take a, uh, an assistant pastor's job at ba- uh, Bible Baptist Church at Bradenton. You ain't getting my support. Huh? They're going to have to pay you down there. You see, but once we support them, we support them for life. You know, when I come in here, we got 58 missionaries we support. I don't know half of them. I'm not going to drop half of them and pick up the guys that I know. Don't do that. That's unethical. But a lot of churches do that. Isn't that sad? So when these guys come back on furlough, so here's Paul, Barnabas, and Saul. They come back to the church in Antioch. They're going to give a report. Why? Let me give you three quick reasons why. Number one, for accountability reasons. Accountability. These missionaries need to be accountable. They need to come back to the church and say, and that's why we say to our missionaries, I'm not sure what we do here, but back home, we wanted to hear from our missionaries at least quarterly. Quarterly. You know, sometimes they're in places where it had to be semi-annual, and that's okay. But if I didn't hear from a missionary after, if he's supposed to report quarterly, and I didn't hear from him after six months, John, my missions director would send him a letter and say, hey, uh, Brother Don, I trust everything is going well. We pray for you. I hope you've been receiving our support. We haven't heard from you in a, four, in a few months. Is everything okay? If we get nothing back after a month or two, my missions director calls or sends another email or letter and says, uh, once again, Brother Don, we really thank the Lord for you, praying for you, hope you've been receiving our, our support. This is our second letter. If, if you do not respond to this one, then we will be suspending your support. You'd be surprised how quick we get a letter once we say, we will be suspending your support. Why is that? Because of accountability. I have to give an answer to the Lord. I have to answer to you what we're doing with our missions money. I want to make sure all, we have 58 endeavors right now. I want to make sure all 58 of them are doing what they said they were going to do. Right? We don't have money to waste when it comes to missions. Amen? And so, accountability. Another reason is this, uh, as to why we encourage them to come back and give a report, and that would be as a, as a, as a means to remind Look at this text again. It says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto them. And so it's a reminder, you know, as to what, as to what the Lord uh, has done and is doing. Right? And it's exciting. 
I love to hear these missionary reports. Wednesday night when Colin uh, begins to read our missionary letters, it's a wonderful thing to hear. People are getting saved and churches are start, uh, running out of space, need to build a new building, we need chairs, we need a new van. That's exciting, isn't it? Amen. We're a part of that. God is not dead. God's alive and he's working and people are getting saved everywhere. And so it's a reminder of what God is doing. Then finally, I, I put this down, it's a challenge. It challenges our vision. It reminds us that the work is far from being done. Years ago, I remember hearing, hearing these st statistics. You, you've probably heard them before. If Gerald Fielder was here, you heard these statistics. statistics. They talk about, you know, when Jesus said, go into all the world, Matthew's gospel, right? Teach all nations. Here's what we've come to learn. Brother Keene educated us on this. We come to learn that all nations speaks about people groups, right? So what's a people group? A people group is a, is a group of individuals that have the same culture, same customs, same language, and you can reach that group of people with the same message. It's a people group. You know how many people groups there are in the world today? Any idea? 24,000. 24,000 people groups. That's groups of people, some larger, some smaller, that have the same customs, same culture, same language, and you can use the same message to reach those people. 24,000 people groups. Out of those 24,000 people groups, now this is a statistic that came, it's probably about 10 years old, and I don't know if it's changed much. But out of those 24,000 people groups, there's 6,000 people groups that are unreached. 6,000. You know what we're praying? Oh, Jesus, come back today. And you know what he's saying? But you still got a lot of work to do. Come back today. But if I do, there's 6,000 people groups that aren't going to be able to go to heaven because they never heard the gospel. And are you aware of this? Some of those people groups don't have a language, a written language. And so if they don't have a written language, they can't have a Bible. And so you know what there are missionaries doing today? Like First Bible International, you know, and some of these other mission ministries now, they're going to these people groups and literally establishing a language. They are, they are establishing a vocabulary, an alphabet. They don't even have an alphabet. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. Cherith Ottenson. You know, Jason, Jason, Jason and Cherith, we, we support the Ottensons. What was her name before she was an Ottenson? It was Cherith Stevens. Thanks, Donna. I got that one all by myself. <laughs> Cherith Stevens, many years ago, I'm going to say 20 years ago, came to our church as a young lady looking for mission support. The only reason I would have even considered her, Kevin, is because Charles Keene said, if you have her, I promise you, you'll not, be, you'll not be sorry. I had this young lady came in, sweet, humble, godly. I mean, when I had her come up to the platform and give a testimony, it was as if God ushered her onto the platform. I mean, God was all over her, man. And she began to share with us how she was going to go to this remote place in Papua New Guinea and begin to interpret or help interpreters establish a language, how they were going to have to begin to develop an alphabet with sounds and, and signs. And I thought, good grief, this is going to take a lifetime. 
you know? And yet she was committed to it. Well, it wasn't but a few years later that she had reported back that they're working on the Gospel of Mark. And they got the first few chapters done. I thought, what? And then not long after that, she writes back and says, the Gospel of Mark is almost complete. What? Huh? Look here, I've been educated in some of the finest schools in America. Not really. Uh, I still butcher the king's English. In fact, I was, I was tweeting with a friend just a little bit ago, and here's, he's talking to me about a, another friend who's got a church, and here's what I said. And as soon as I tweeted it and sent it, I said, oh, man, that was stupid. I said, where's he located at? <laughs> Any of you who know how to speak the king's English, you know you never end with at. And you know, you, know what he, you know what he tweeted back? He said to me, where did you, where'd you learn English at? At our, at our Christian school? And I just tweeted back, don't get funny. You're no smarter than I am. But, so, but how do you go to a remote area? I'm having a hard time speaking English, and she's developing a language in an area where they don't even have an alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Is that still the way it goes? H, I, J, K, L, M, O, N. Wasn't sure if they changed that. I know it changed in everything else. Isn't that amazing? I, at least I find it to be amazing. And you know what I say in my heart, honestly, in my heart? I'm thankful for a Cherith Stevens, now Jason and Cherith Ottenson, because I could not do that. Honestly, Brian, I would not want to do that. It's tedious. Huh? But I'm glad she's doing it. Why? Because I'm responsible to reach that people group. Are you with me? So missions really is a little bit more. It's a little bit layered. It's like peeling back that onion. And when the, the more you learn, the more you realize, my goodness gracious, this is, a, this is a difficult task. We need the Lord's help, and we need everybody on board. You know? Amen? So here's, here's where we are, and I'm going to finish. As a church... Open Bible, currently, we support 58 missionaries or mission endeavors. So what's a mission endeavor? Well, we support places like New England Baptist Bible College. That's an endeavor, right? It's not a family starting a church. It's a ministry. We support the sword of the Lord. We support uh, West Coast Baptist College, right? Uh, And so they're endeavors, 58 complete. Our faith-giving promise, what we promise— So, when you take all of those 58 endeavors quarterly, because we promised to support them quarterly, we said this to to those missionary endeavors. We said, if if you go, we promise to be a part of your support. We make that promise, right? And it cost us $91,740 a year or $22,935 a quarter. So, almost $23,000 a quarter is what it cost us right now for those 58 families. Now, if you're new at all this, I want to tell you, that's a great number, but there are churches that are 100,000 a quarter. There are churches that are 250,000 a quarter. There are some churches that 70 cents of every dollar that comes in goes to missions. Think about that. So if a church brings in a million dollars, they send 700,000 of it to missions, and they live off of 300,000 of it. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I'm thrilled by that. So how do they do that? The hand of God just rests upon them and meets all their needs because they're doing what is closest to to his heart, 
reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. But we're doing our part. We're doing what we can do. And it's exciting because our faith-giving promise was 22935 per quarter. Our faith promise, uh, our, faith, our faith giving received was $25,680 a quarter. Do so you know what that means? That means we, we, we have taken in more than we promised to send out. That's pretty good. That's real good. Amen? And that's, that's for three quarters. That's first quarter, second quarter, third. We're in the fourth quarter right now. My encouragement to you is don't stop now. Let's finish strong because these missionaries are dependent upon our sending our support. Amen? So here's what we're going to do over the next week or two. Uh, we're praying about what the Lord would have us do for the upcoming year. Um, we're going to take on these three new missionaries. I have a fourth that uh, I, w- I don't want to talk to you about uh, as a young lady. I want to talk about her right now, but I will uh, probably next week. And we'd like to be a blessing to her. Brother Tyler's going to get me some information, more information this week. I'm going to present this to our, uh, our deacons. I think Wednesday night we might have a meeting. I'm going to present some of this to them. And then we'll come back and give you what our uh, vision is um, hopefully on Sunday, what our vision is for the next year, okay? And I, I, I tell you right now, we're not going to drop anybody, but we're going to add to that list. And so if we're taking in, if we need to take in 25000 or $23,000 uh, now per quarter, we're going to need to take in more, right? And the way we're going to have to get it in is we got to get it out <laughs> of our pockets, Right? Amen? Did you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, God loveth a cheerful giver? You know what it says? I have a version in my office that says, but he'll also take it from a grump. <laughs> it's better to give cheerfully, but if you can, he'll still take it if you give it as a grump. But the idea is this. We need, we just need to continue to get it done. Right? And so when I looked at all the numbers, Brother Steve, I was, I was really impressed, you know. What I want us to do next year is this. I want us to be able, and I talked to Tyler about this and Brother Steve, I want us to be able to take our Jerusalem spending and put that in our missions budget. So what's Jerusalem spending? Well, National Night Out, that's reaching Jerusalem. All our gospel tracts and, and literature, that's reaching Jerusalem. That ought to be in mission spending, Right? And so we ra- when we raise missions dollars next year, I want to include that in the budget. You know, reaching Jerusalem, you know, that comes out of missions. That's part of it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost. Right? Let's not stop until it's time to stop. Amen. What say ye? Amen. Amen. So let me just say this and I'm done. Watch, I'm going I'm to shut off my iPad. I'm done. I'm going to close my Bible. I'm finished. Would you do your best to be here this week? I'm going to beg you as your pastor to try to do your best to come to every service. Now, I get it. Some folks work. I get it. And I know you got school. So what? Kids can be a little tired the next morning. Right? This is important stuff. We don't do this often. Uh, do we have another conference at all on our schedule? Not the end of this year, nothing beginning of the year. So uh, we, we're not going to have a Monday, Tuesday, or a Thursday, Friday meeting, not anytime soon. 
you know? And so we don't do this often. We don't beat you up. We don't drag you out. We know you got busy lives. But every once in a while, we need to carve out some time for the important things. And this is an important thing. So I'm going to ask you to do your best, please, over the next week to be here. I know once you're here, you're going to love it. You're going to fall in love with these missionaries. Howard Casey is our guest speaker. You're going to love him. It's going to be a great opportunity to get to know uh, these individuals, and they become part of our missionary family, right? So let me encourage you, please, please, please do your best to be here. Amen? Pray for good weather, but if it's not, come anyway. Okay? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for allowing us to do what we've done this year. It's exciting to hear that we have already exceeded um, our budget as to where we should be at this point in time. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure our missionaries are thankful that they can depend on a church like Open Bible every quarter to look in their missions giving and see that check. And I know it goes a long way. They need every dollar. And so help us as we go throughout this week to be mindful, prayerful, and considerate of what needs to be done to help these missionaries to get where you've called them. We do pray for a great week, great conference on Thursday and Friday and Sunday. We pray for great attendance, great spirit, hedge of safety, good health. We pray especially for the missionaries who are traveling, that you give them driving, uh, traveling mercies and safety along the way. They have to stay and rest. May they do what they need to do to get here refreshed. And then when they get here, help us to love on them. And may Open Bible be a place they'll never forget. May it be one of those favorite stops along the way. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.